Good morning. Welcome from wherever you're joining us, those of you in the room, those of you joining us online. We're in a series this summer on the Ten Commandments, and uh, so I'm glad you've joined us today, wherever you're joining us from. Uh, I want to talk to you today about, uh, it's a sin that basically every Christian that I know thinks is no big deal. So here's what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to turn to your neighbor, um, just just give him a pat, touch on the shoulder, whatever, and say, he's talking about you, not me. (laughs) Sitting on the couch, just tell him, let him know. Now, if we could figure this out, uh, I, I promise you there's, there's a deep, deep promise inside of this, this command we're going to look at today in the Ten Commandments uh, that would unleash for you lifelong healing power. Would anybody like that? I have a friend who calls this commandment that we're going to look at today the gospel for Americans. And so we're going to examine this today. I want to invite you to stand with me. I know we've been kind of up and down here in the room. We read the scriptures together and we stand out of reverence for God's word. And I'll be reading aloud. The words will be on the screen as well. Exodus chapter 20, verse 8 through 11. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you so much for standing. I want to talk to you about this today under, under three basic headings. Number one, why, why is Sabbath important I want to create some tension around that. Um, help us make sure we understand what Sabbath is. And then lastly, I want to look at the God who heals you with rest. Why Sabbath? What Sabbath is the God who heals you with rest? Now, just so you can kind of know where we're going, uh, I'm going to kind of take you all over Scripture a little bit. And it might feel like we're kind of going all over the place. And how do these threads all tie together? But I'm, I'm doing that all over to, to make this one specific point. If you're taking notes, it's the first blanks there in your notes, if you have those with you. Uh, it's this, um, that you, you have to take a break or you break. You choose. So why, why Sabbath? Now, I want to give you uh, two experiences that uh, I have had. One very, very positive, happened not long ago, and then one that negative that was cumulative for me that, that, um, that made me feel some pain and made me want to change. And so I want to share those two experiences with you about why in the world we need Sabbath. And then I want to give you three reasons from here in this, this passage about why you and I need Sabbath in our life. Now, here's, here's my first experience. It's very positive. Uh, just a few years, a couple years ago now, I was in uh, Israel, and we had just toured um, uh, the, the Sea of Galilee, and uh, we were there on a Friday. Uh, we got there on a Thursday night, and we got there on, uh, stayed there Friday, did some touring, and then Saturday, which is the Jewish, Jewish Sabbath, we traveled to Jerusalem. I was kind of mad, though, because when we got to the hotel, um, there were signs that said these elevators uh, stop on these specific floors on Shabbat. Shabbat is the Hebrew word for Sabbath. And um, so these elevators are pre-set to stop at certain floors automatically because y- if you're a good Jew, you don't want to do any work on the Sabbath, and so you didn't have to do the work of pushing the button. It's just a 
countrywide thing that they do in, in um, Israel. And so, um, but I, I was really excited because when you go on these tours of Israel, you go to these hotels and they put on these kind of lavish feasts for you uh, at breakfast and at dinner. Does, does anyone else love breakfast? Is anyone, me, like it's the best meal of the day. I would eat breakfast every meal if I could. And, and they had this, um, I, don't, I don't know how to put it in words for you, just lavish breakfast thing. And so we got there uh, Friday morning, and we had this amazing breakfast. I, because of the time difference, I woke up at about 4 in the morning, and I got my breakfast, and they made this amazing omelet and this fresh you know, cheese and vegetables. And, and I went out, and I got this amazing coffee, and I sat out on the deck overlooking the Sea of Galilee as the sun came up. And I was, it was like, oh, like this is, I could just die right now. It's so amazing. And I, I wasn't thinking because, you know, this is not how we operate. You know, we don't keep a Sabbath collectively as a society. And so um, the next day was the beginning of the Sabbath. And so I went down expecting that same exact experience. And I was mad because they served preheated eggs. And I was like, wait a second. I was, was kind of mad. So I was in a bad mood to begin with. And um, so then that day we did our touring and we got in the bus and we drove to Jerusalem. And um, we stayed in our hotel. We got in our hotel really near the old city of Jerusalem and this modern hotel. And we did this little walk each day. We would drive, walk down the hill and around the corner and then we would be in the old city of Jerusalem and we'd go to the western wall and we'd pray there and then we'd come back. And, and as you would go down the hill, there was this huge plaza. I don't, we don't have anything like it here in Wichita, but size-wise, it would be like Nafsker Park on Douglas just in front of the Interest Arena. Maybe uh, six or seven times that size. We don't, again, don't have anything like it, but it was this just kind of citywide plaza with shops and a, uh, a modern monorail went right through the middle of it, and you know there were cars there. But we were there on uh, the evening of the Sabbath. And so I, I, we got settled in the hotel, and I thought, you know, I, just, I like to explore new places. And so I said, I'm going to go walk. Uh, I'm going to walk and go down this plaza. So I walked. I went down the hill. And I wasn't ready for what I experienced. I, I, don't, I don't have the words to describe for you, but I, I walked down, and then that plaza, this huge plaza, was filled with people. They'd stopped all the traffic. They'd stopped all the trains. And there were just of all ages, no one was really on a phone, the shops were all closed, and all ages, grandmas and grandpas and teenagers who were crushing on each other, and little kids and moms and dads, and um, just all ages in between, were just, I, I don't know how else to explain it to you, it was like this hallowed, it was like I walked inside of a cathedral. <laughs> I, I don't have any other word for it, because it was the Sabbath. And everybody in the place had this sense of space and time that was tangible. And I thought, wow, I'd like to live here just to experience that every week. I, I wanted that. Now, that's, that's positive. Um, so let me, let me give you some logic about why, why it is that we, uh, we need Sabbath, why, why we need Sabbath in our life. There's, a, there's kind of a, a logic um, of, of the Ten Commandments, and, and inside that logic of the Ten Commandments is an invitation to us. So I, I've got the first four commandments. They're, the first four commandments are about your relationship with God, and the, the next six are about your relationship with your neighbor. And so here they are, right? These are the first four commandments. No other gods before me was the first commandment. Uh, no idols. We looked at that a couple weeks ago. Don't mis 
misuse God's name. We talked about that last week, and today we're talking about remembering the Sabbath, and there's a, there's a logic to them. I just pay attention with me, if you would, to the logic of this. So if there's no other gods, leave that up there, if you would, guys, please. Um, if there's no other gods before you, okay, well, that means that you would love God, and, and God would be your defining love. So that means that you'd be able to resist the pressure to idolize something in your life, and it would give you a perspective on your life that would keep everything in its place and keep you sane and wise, and God would always loom the largest on your, your horizon. And so then, as a result of the fact that you love God and you're not putting pressure on anything else to provide for you what only God can provide for you, you don't feel the need to take advantage of people or manipulate situations in God's name because you trust that God will work things out for your good and your reputation will only enhance God's name. And then, as a result of that, it's okay for you to take a break. And you find a sustainable rhythm in life, and you enjoy your work, but you do it from a place of rest because you know God is in charge of the world. There's a logic to it. Now, if you don't have that in place, if you don't see the invitation, then this is what it looks like in your life. Is yes, you hear this command, you know, that, you know, that God's supposed to be first, and so you, you, you might like God, uh, you, you might make place for God in your life. You might even come to church every Sunday. But God, frankly, is just one of your interests. And because God is only one of your interests, then what you do is you put too much pressure on things in your life and you make idols out of good things and they end up crushing you under their demands. And then because life's not working out for you, what you do is you, you're in a position where you need to get leverage on people and life. And so you take advantage of God's character and God's reputation to get your agenda got done and you use God for your agenda. And so then because that's the case, then you'll feel like it's always up to you in life and you'll never take a break and you'll work and you'll work and you'll work until you crash. Wash, rinse, repeat till you die. That sounds enjoyable, doesn't it? Uh, second experience is negative for me. Um, this is my experience with work. I've always, I've always enjoyed work. Um, I've always uh, worked really hard. Um, I love to work. Uh, when I was in college, um, I traveled for three years with Mid-America and Nazarene University representing the college, and so every summer and every weekend I was gone representing the college. And, and then I, I did, I'm, I'm so bright that I crammed uh, four years into five. And um, so I, I was there in my fifth year, not traveling, representing the school, and I was getting ready to marry my wife, getting ready to an marry Andrea, and I knew that I needed money, and, and I didn't come from a wealthy family. My dad's a pastor, and so I had that year, my fifth year, um, what I took, I think, 18 hours one semester and 17 another my final year, and I had five jobs in addition to, uh, addition to my school work, and I I mean, it just felt like I just did nothing but work. I mean, I just would go from one thing to another. I just, it was just a pace. And I just thought, you know, that's, I, I, I didn't resent it at, at the time in any way. I just thought that was what you needed to do, and so I did it. Many of you have been in similar situations. You're like, I just got to get it done. I remember I came here. I was actually moved here uh, as the youth pastor of, of Wichita First Church at the time, and and I remember I, my first month, it was just like, hey, work, 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 work. That's what you do. And I remember I went on my, our honeymoon, Andrea and I, and, and I, I, I still vividly remember feeling like I'm not going on a honeymoon. I'm somehow taking a, a vacation because I'm exhausted. 
And something in me knew that wasn't the way it was supposed to be, but I didn't know any better because I was 23. And so I just did it anyway. And I, I again, we're going to talk about work here more in a second, but I, I love to work, so I just, I, that was just been my pattern, just work, 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 work. I reached a point um, just a, a number of years ago where um, the allostatic load in my body built up to a point that I could no longer bear. Do you know what the allostatic load is? Allostatic load is a, a reference to uh, the chemical cortisol. Cortisol is what your body puts out when you're under stress. And when you're under stress for too long and you, you, you work and you work and you work and it's just stress, the cortisol builds up to a point where it floods your entire system and then you can break down, uh, have a nervous breakdown, you can uh, flame out, you can burn out, you, um, all kinds of things can happen to your body. You can get a, an illness as a result of the allostatic load being too high. And that was me. And I burnt out. And I'm trying to be a pastor, and I'm trying to still work hard, and I just frankly don't have it in me. And I'm just exhausted. I mean, this has been my pattern my whole life. It was work, work. And, and I, I realized something, an awareness, a gift came to me in that dark place in my journey where I realized, oh, wait, I'm a human being. That means I have limits. And very frankly, even to this day, I can still something, if you've ever been through a burnout, you know you can be triggered by something and it's just like, oh, your body remembers and keeps the score, one writer talks about. And you feel all of that again. And so I had this, this really positive experience seeing that in Jerusalem, this different space and time. And then my lived experience of pure and utter exhaustion and burnout. And I thought, I want this, not that. And, and this is the second reason why, uh, you know, you and I need Sabbath, is we live in a world without rest. The, the gospel writer Matthew, in Matthew chapter 4, he called it uh, the land of the shadow of death. I've got the verse for you. It's in Matthew chapter 4, verse 16. Uh, it's in a reference to Jesus here, Matthew's talking about. He says, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living, and here's that phrase, in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Now, you need to understand. Again, I told you we're going to kind of go all over the Bible, so stay with me here. The context of that is the temptations of Jesus. So you would need to go back up to the beginning of Matthew chapter 4, and you need to read the three temptations of Jesus. Number one, to turn stones into, bed, into bread, to, to produce. And, and then number two, to leap from the temple to get attention. And number three, to bow down to him and, and, and receive the kingdoms of the world, ambition. And Jesus resists all of those temptations that have been with us since humanity began and said, no, that's not the way to go about life. But here's what you, here's what you need to understand what Matthew's trying to say when he says, on the, he's saying, what do you get when people accept those temptations as normal and valid? You got to produce, you got to get attention, and you got to make your way in the world. Where, what kind of world do you get where your value comes from, what you produce, who likes you, and what you are able to build? What kind of world do you get? I will tell you, our world, <laughs> right? Very frankly, in our world, you as a human being, you are only valued 
for your useful, usefulness. That's why you're valued in this world. And Matthew says that is a land of the shadow of death. Death's just hanging there, ready to pounce. And when will the light, like it did with Jesus, when will the light dawn for us that that's just not a way to live? The third reason is this, is it's right here in the Ten Commandments, is this is actually a sin to not keep a Sabbath. Now, I, I told you, I'll, virtually every Christian I know just, uh, like, you're going to, I promise most of you are going to go, yeah, this doesn't really apply to me. It's like, this is in the same list as in a few, the weeks ahead, right? We're going to talk about adultery and murder and stealing. And we talked about idolatry. Are, are you saying that God meant nine out of the ten but didn't mean the tenth one? He's like, yeah, yeah, keep these nine. But this other uh, tenth one, eh, no big deal. Now, why, pause with me. Why is it that we are against sin in the first place? This is important to know. It's in your notes. The reason we're against sin is that sin steals life from us while deceiving us into thinking it's how to fix our problem or find relief from our pain. And again, every Christian I know thinks this is just, it's not a big deal. I'm a, I, I can break the Sabbath all the time. It's just not a big deal. God doesn't really care. I just want to tell you, this is actually a big, hairy deal. And, and this is a sin against the pattern that God installed into his creation. And listen, you can either take a break or you break. You choose. Now, what, 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 what is Sabbath? Now, verse 11 here in Exodus chapter 20 is really a summary of Genesis chapter 1, the creation account, the first book of the Bible, the first chapter of the Bible, the story of God creating what you and I know as the world. And I want you to see it, though. So Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, um, there's a, this is after the six days of God creating, you know, everything that we see. God saw all that he made, and it was, can you say those two words out loud with me? Very good, right? And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Now, creation in Genesis 1 and 2 uh, is giving, God's giving to us a pattern a pattern for how the world works and how, so, uh, and how life works. So it would, it would make sense for us to pay attention to the pattern. Now, what, what is it that's very good? Well, God has just got done creating. He's, he's, uh, he's looking over everything that he has made over the last six da- days, um, all of creation, mankind. It's his work and his production and there in Genesis, before sin has entered the world, God says work and production are very good. God looks at and enjoys his work. Now, you need to understand that when God works, it's out of creativity and it's out of delight. It's a, the, the, the imagery there in Genesis is of a craftsman or an artist creating out of sheer delight and artistry. And it's just like, it's in me to do this. And so then it goes on, chapter 2, verse 1, so the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. Now listen, here's where the echoes we hear in Exodus chapter 20, verse 11. By the seventh day, God had finished the work that he'd been doing, and so on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. You, you hear the echo there? Because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he'd done. Now, uh, 
we gotta, we got to make sure we don't miss this. Here's God who is endlessly creative, creates out of sheer delight, created you out of joy and delight and could go on creating for all eternity. That's how creative God is. And God, the supreme worker, says, that's enough. Yep, created all that. That's enough. We're done now. We can stop. Now, notice something. Both work and rest are given to you and I before sin enters the world. They're both gifts. It's a different sermon to talk about work, but work is not cursed. Work becomes a curse when we use it to find our worth. And the Sabbath is how you resist being defined by your work. Now let's unpack this verse right here in Genesis chapter 2. There's, there's three words I want us to look at. Rest, blessed, and holy. Okay, so the word uh, again, Shabbat, I used that word earlier, is the, the Hebrew word um, for, uh, d- means to cease. Uh, it means to stop. It means to be complete. In some context, it's used uh, to celebrate. So the writer of the, the first books of the Bible telling us how God creates the world says that God himself, endlessly creative, stops and celebrates on the seventh day, and rests and says, this is enough. God works, and God rests. Now remember, creation is a pattern, right? Work and rest. So here's God weaving into his creation a rhythm into the fabric of his world and gives us work and gives us rest. Now we can go on either side of that spectrum all rest and no work, because some of you are going to think, you're just talking about, you know, being lazy and all work and no rest. You are lazy and you're unproductive. Your life doesn't have the, 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 the potency that it could have. On the flip side, all work and no rest, you experience what I experience. It's red line and breakdown. Now, here in Genesis 2, the author's telling us that rest has a couple of features. Number one, the first thing is that it's blessed. So now, again, that word's only used in the creation account of human beings. They're blessed, meaning they have the ability to be fruitful and do creative things themselves. And the other thing that's blessed is the Sabbath day. So if blessing is the ability to be life-giving and procreate, to be fruitful, and then the Sabbath is blessed, what does that mean? That means that a Sabbath, you pausing on a weekly basis for a 24-hour time period has life-giving power. Because you know that work takes energy and it drains you. And, and even if you love your job, you, you and I need a seventh day to refill with life and energy and vitality. It, it's life-giving. Rest is blessed, <laughs> Can you just poke your neighbor and turn to them? And they may not be getting this, but just tell them, rest is blessed. The second thing that the, the writer of Genesis tells us is that not only is rest blessed, but rest is holy. Now, this is the first time in all of the scriptures that the word holy is used. And, and the word holy means uh, to be set apart 
for a special use. It's, it's a word that describes the character and nature of God, and it's also a word that describes what you and I were intended to be. It's the highest possible functioning we could express as human beings. It's, a, it's the Bible's word for a human being that's fully alive in the image of God you're, you're, when you're holy. But I want you to notice the first thing that God makes holy. Now, all the ancients around them that would have said, you know, that the, the, what God would make holy would be maybe a temple, or maybe he would make a person holy, or maybe he would make a place holy, or maybe he would make your home holy. But what's the very first thing that God makes holy? Time. <laughs> a, specifically, a day. God says a day is holy. He sets aside a day for special use. In fact, the Jews have this wonderful phrase. It's what I experienced in the square in Jerusalem that day. They say the Sabbath is a sanctuary in time. And I'm telling you, when I walk down that hill and I turned that corner, I don't have any other way to describe it than I walked into a sanctuary. So here's what the Sabbath is. Sabbath is a divinely ordered ceasing from production. It's a day that's blessed. In other words, it's a day that's meant to be life-giving. And it's a day that's holy. It's set apart for special use to help you and I redefine what it means to be alive and in God's image. Here's a, a, a rabbinical saying. I love this. This is so beautiful about the meaning of the Sabbath. I have a precious gift in my treasury, said God to Moses. Sabbath is its name. Go and tell Israel I wish to present it to them. Now, if this is the pattern, what happens when we ignore the pattern? And, and into the pattern is woven this rhythm that God's put into his creation. Well, it's what I experienced. It's burnout, it's sickness, it's loss of passion. We even have language for when someone is just, they're just, your goose is cooked. We go, you know, it, he's just going through the motions. <laughs> his, his heart's not in it. Again, you take a break or you break you choose. Now, so why, why Sabbath? Okay, what, what Sabbath is, and now let's, let's, let's pay attention because this is the point we need to get, is the God who heals you with rest. I've got three, uh, three things I want to just talk to you about the nature and character of God that you need to know um, as we're thinking about Sabbath. Here, here's the first thing. We've kind of touched on it already, but I want to dig down on it just for a second. God thinks a time comes when he has done enough. I, you need to let that sink in because we live in a culture where you can never do enough. And, and work is good, yes, because God works. And God commands us to work and to be fruitful. Why? Well, because that's what God does. And we're made in his image. But God also says that it's enough. We, we, we don't do that. We See, God's word is enough. Our word is more. I don't know if you're familiar with Wendell Berry. Wendell Berry is an author. He's uh, kind of cantankerous. He lives on a farm in Kentucky, and he's uh, one of the most widely respected living authors, and he's written all kinds of books. One of, one of his books is a novel. It's called Jaber Crow, and it's about this guy who just kind of tells his story, and, and in the, it's a wonderful book. It's won, won several prizes. It's, he's a phenomenal writer. If you need some summer reading, pick up Jaber Crow. It's phenomenal. 
And in, in Jaber Crow, he tells the story of this, uh, this older couple who are farmers, and this older couple, they've stewarded this land for, for decades, and they've always made room. There's always been margin on their farm, both in the time that they put into the farm, because on the Sabbath they would go to worship, and also on the actual land itself. They didn't farm everything all of the time at every moment. They didn't bring out of the land all the production it could take. They just, they would farm it, and they stewarded it, knowing that they were going to hand it off. Their daughter meets this character in the novel by the name of Troy, and Troy um, thinks that what they're doing is ridiculous and it's old-fashioned and it's a waste of time and they could be modernizing production and there are better ways to farm. And he takes over the farm and he leaves no margin. There's no space, literally and metaphorically. Just, he just maxes it out. And Wendell Berry is trying to make the point that we live in a world where God says, like that couple, there's enough, there's margin. But we live in a world of the Troys where they, that person says, more, more. But God thinks there's a time when he has done enough, so he must mean that for you too. Uh, here's the second thing, is God created you as a, a human, you know this, God created you as a human being, not a human doing. Again, <laughs> yeah, let's, let's look back at the temptations of Jesus. Um, you know, turn these stones into bed, bread, produce. Get people's attention. Have ambition. And, and the reason you and I are so attracted to those things is because we believe that we have to do those things to prove our value. And actually those things are a distortion of work and the result is that darkness settles on us and we start to live in a land that's like a shadow of death. And very frankly, just pay attention to the data. We have never been in a more, I don't know on the, the face of earth if there's been a more prosperous nation than the one we live in. I'm so grateful for it. At the same time, we've never been, there maybe has never been a more anxious and lonely society than the one you and I live in right now. It's darkness. Again, this is hard for us because we believe we're valuable only when we're doing something. And, and we even think about, we even talk about this, and when we talk about jobs, we say, you know, what does that person bring to the table? And so we don't believe that it's okay to rest and you can only rest when you've earned it. Now, I, I, I think it would be good if we were to institute a catechism. Do you know what a catechism is? If you grew up uh, in a different tradition like Lutheran or Catholic or Episcopal, you know what a catechism is. A catechism is a, uh, a set of questions and answers that's meant to teach, uh, teach theology and faith and doctrine. And, and there are famous catechisms, the Westminster Catechism, the Heidelberg Catechism. And uh, usually, you know, children will go through it and they'll learn in question-answer form how to, you know, answer these deep, profound questions. I, I think there ought to be uh, a Sabbath ca catechism. And the first uh, question on the Sabbath catechism, I've got it right here for you on the screen. I'd like for you to read it out loud, even sitting at home. It'd go like this, right? Even if we were in catechism class, um, we, we would read them all out loud together and then we would say the answer. So let's read it all out loud together, okay? What do you call someone who is never allowed to stop working and must always produce and whose value is based on their production alone? Answer, a slave. Are, are, you, are you tracking with me? 
Somebody who works all the time and never rests isn't being productive. They are a slave. Do you know the story of the Israelites in Egypt? You know, more bricks, less straw. And we under, here's what we do. We, we call those people go-getters, right? We're like, oh, man, it's so hardworking, innovative, daring. But the Bible has a category for the person who's always working and never stopping, and that category is a slave. And God sets a limit to protect us. Uh, third thing, God gives you Sabbath as a gift for your healing. Now, again, the, the, the writer here is reaching all the way back to the Genesis story, which predates the Mosaic law by thousands of years and saying this is the pattern. And so the Pharisees were always coming to Jesus because Jesus was always doing work on the Sabbath. He was pushing the elevator button when he shouldn't. And they're like, Jesus, you're breaking the Sabbath rule. And Jesus said back to them this phrase that you've got to hear in Mark chapter 2. He said, listen, you, you don't get it. You don't get it. He said the Sabbath was made for man, not man, for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Did you know that the vast majority of healing stories in the Gospels, do you know the day of the week they take place? The Sabbath. Why? I, I, I think Jesus is making the point that the Sabbath is a day of healing. And we are, I mean, the stats are, um, that we're the, we're the lead, get this, of any industrialized nation, um, we are the country that uses the least amount of vacation time. <laughs> and that is a badge of honor. Uh, mental illness in our country has tripled in the last 20 years. We're quite literally losing a grip on reality. And I want to suggest it's because we don't know how to rest. We don't know how to Sabbath. Now, can I just give you some real practical things about Sabbath? And, and um, Sean's going to come play a, a song here in just a second. I want you to hear. It's a, one of my favorite songs about rest. Um, the, the Jewish people today, they, they celebrate the Sabbath. It's on Friday night. Um, it goes from um, sundown to sundown, Friday night to Saturday. And uh, they cease all productive activity. And if you think, well, it's not practical. How would the world work? How, how would the economy work if we were to shut down once a day? Well, just, I, I don't know what you know about most of the Jewish folks and the amount of money that they have, but I, apparently they're doing okay. And I don't mean that as a slur. And they, they've just all agreed that this is how it's going to work because you and I would have to agree that this is how this is going to work, that we're going to actually have downtime. I, I've started taking this practice because Sunday is a day of work for me. And so my Sabbath is a Friday. And so I've started doing what the Jewish people do on Thursday night. If you are friends with me on, on, um, in, on social media, you might see that pretty regularly on Thursday night, I post Psalm 131. My heart is not proud, Lord. My eyes are not lifted too high. I do not concern myself with things too great for me or too wonderful for me. I've stilled and quieted my soul. Like a child, like a weaned child with his mother, so is my soul within me. Oh, Israel, put your hope in the Lord both now and forevermore. It's my prayer going into Sabbath. <laughs> like I'm, I, for a day, God, I'm not going to worry about the world. I, I can't, I don't make the world run anyway. You do. I'm telling you, it's like I enter into, because I've been doing this for a little while now, I enter into a sanctuary in time. It's like the week becomes holy. It 
It's like this, this space and time of my day becomes holy. So you're going to have to do that. Now, I, I've, you may say, well, the Jews have the Sabbath is on Saturday. Well, we worship on Sunday because it's the Lord's day. It's the day that Jesus rose from the dead, and he's the Lord of the Sabbath. So we worship that day and rest that day. And, and you may or may not be able to make that a day of rest, but how are you going to do it? Now, listen, um, in, in the end, we know all of this. If you go to the book of Hebrews and you were to read the book of Hebrews and what the writer of Hebrews writes there, he says, listen, we're all searching for rest. We're all searching for peace. And, and if you want rest and you want peace, what you actually need even more than you need a day is you need Jesus who is the place and the person with whom you can find rest and peace. I don't know how you will ever have a life of peace if you don't know Jesus. And so if you don't know Jesus this morning, man, you got to start there. But he's the one that gave us the Sabbath as a gift. And I wonder if you could try it. Could you, could you do this? I mean, there are questions on the back of those notes, and if you're in a group or a class, hopefully you use those as a, as a resource. And, and maybe you could begin to think together as a group. Like, what would it be like for me if I every week had an actual Sabbath? Because you're going to need some help. You, you really can't do this alone. I can't do this alone. I didn't get out of burnout alone. You, you, you're not going to have a Sabbath alone. And, and someone might be able to help you. And maybe you could just give yourself permission over the course of the rest of the summer, the next couple of months, and just say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tap into the rhythm that God put into creation itself. There is work, and then there is rest. And there is work, and there is rest. And you can begin to experience the holiness of a Sabbath. Man, I want that for you as your pastor. I just, I want that for you so badly. I want you to hear the words of this song. Sean, Sean's going to sing it, and then we're going to read the blessing together. Listen to this.
Lord, we want to receive the peace that comes from your presence. We want to receive the gift that you gave to us in a day of rest. We want to imitate you. We want the peace that comes from being like you and doing what you do. Lord, would you break some chains of uh, even spiritual rationale for working and never resting that we've believed, lies we've believed that are contrary to your word? that would give us the freedom to find peace from rest. Lord, I pray this would be a a defining moment, not just for us as individuals, but for us as a church. We're We're people of peace and we're people of rest. We're people that reflect your rhythm and invite people into that peace and into that rest. Lord, would you help us by the power of your spirit to be people who keep the Sabbath not as an obligation, but as the gift you mean for it to be, to give us life and to to bless us and to heal us. Help us to see that we can rest because you're near. We don't have to fear. We can enjoy your love. God, we ask this in your name. All God's people say.